especially being um like a same-sex couple my wife and I Mm. you know now and we worry about that a little bit with our son because we're like the weird you know lesbian vegans who cross (laughs) did all these things all the intersections are just yeah my kids like in the back of the field eating dandelions and I'm like good boy like (laughs) (laughs) yummy Thanks for coming, Devin. Yes, I'm thank excited. you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No worries. Thanks for making time. Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to episode 34 of Too Much. Today we have <laughs> health and wellness coach Devin Hoholuk. She is from Abbotsford, BC. She helps to build a healthy relationship with food while working around barriers such as food allergies and cultural and ethical nutrition choices. With combined education, work experience, and insight through her own personal health journey, she is committed to the highest quality of service and care. She believes in a multidimensional, non-judgmental, holistic approach. Thanks for coming, Devin. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Um, Yes, I was saying earlier, we have been very excited to talk about this because, of course, actually, we'll get into that part later. Maybe you want to tell us about your story and how you found your way to this path. Okay. So yeah, as you said, I'm a health and wellness coach. I'm a nutritional counselor and I mainly work with eating disorders. And so I came into that through my own eating disorder recovery. My story's pretty long as every eating disorder story is, but I was diagnosed with anorexia when I was 19, but I started kind of experiencing eating disorder behaviors as young as five years old with restriction and, and kind of preoccupation with my body, stuff like that. And so, yeah, it's been a very long road and I've been in, or I had been in treatment for many years, um, both residential and lots of outpatient. Mm -hmm. And what I found was that, especially in residential treatment, there was a really big push against vegetarianism and veganism, which I know wasn't just my experience. (laughs) There's been a lot of people kind of struggling to go through recovery, but also like eat according to their morals and values. And so coming out of recovery, I decided to pursue nutrition myself. And I took a holistic nutrition diploma and really decided that I wanted to fill that gap in the recovery model and be a space that allowed people to pursue recovery while sticking to a mostly plant-based diet, if that's what they wanted to do. And so that's kind of how my practice started. And through school and through veganism, I was able to find solid recovery myself. So that's pretty much it. And here I am doing what I'm doing. Cool. Awesome. Uh, Yeah. As I wanted to say before, now that we know that you have struggled with an eating disorder, or I guess continually do throughout your life, kind of, I do as well. And so that is why I'm so excited to have you here. And I think I agree as well. There's so much pushback um, when it comes to people with eating disorders wanting to make vegan or vegetarian choices because of course that means you people think it means you will be eating less food which that doesn't have to be the case Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm excited to have you here to kind of break that stigma I guess yeah, and I love how open you are in your social media. Oh, thank you. The struggles. It's nice to see that, especially like 
in such a positive light because I feel like when I see your posts about eating disorders, it's it's very like pro recovery and very positive and body positive and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I need more of you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I was saying to Jess earlier, I was kind of nervous because this is honestly one of the first questions I wanted to ask. I am self-diagnosed. I was never diagnosed by a doctor that was attempted. Um, I don't know if you've like listened to any of our episodes before, but I talk about how my mom did take me to the doctor and the doctor told me that it was normal for my age. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then I also talk about how, you know, I think you know, when I was taken to the doctor, I was mostly binge eating and kind of starting to get into anorexic tendencies and like obsessive exercising. Um, So I think if he had taken it seriously back then, we could have improved quickly before it turned into like severe anorexia and obsessive exercising. Um, But what I wanted to ask you is how you feel about self-diagnosing. Kind of like as a short answer, I'm pro self-diagnosing, but it's a little bit more complicated than that. So I completely agree with what you said with doctors being super dismissive. A lot, it's unfortunate, are just tragically uneducated when it comes Mm -hmm. to eating disorders. Um, It's very body focused. It's very age focused. So basically like anyone past teenage years, doctors, unless they're well-versed in eating disorders, like kind of are very dismissive. So, and then there seems to be, and I, I'm going to backtrack and say, I see why it has to be this way, but when it comes to treatment, um, they sort of have to triage because there aren't so many resources available. So it tends to be that people who are the most like medically unstable have access to resources first, Mm. which is fine, but that means that it excludes a whole other realm of people who are also struggling Um, And that's not fair because anybody who is struggling deserves access to help. And eating disorders don't just present physically, like they're very much like a mental and emotional illness. Um, So just because somebody looks a certain way, or even if their health markers like blood pressure, heart rate, even if those things are presenting as normal, that does not mean that there's not a huge amount of struggle happening. So I'm very pro seeking help regardless of where you're at, if anybody is feeling like food, exercise, body image, any of those things are kind of taking over their, their thoughts and their life, please seek help. And Mm -hmm. there are people out there who will take you seriously. And it's really unfortunate that sometimes we have to push and advocate for ourselves, especially when you're already in the midst of disordered eating, because I mean, when you're already having a hard time, it's hard to speak up and push for what you think you need or what you what you deserve. So it's kind of a tricky balance. Uh, the only time that I am not a fan of self-diagnosis is I think with social media and especially with TikTok, bless TikTok, it got me through mm. 2020, <laughs> <laughs> like laughter and whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think that sometimes with self-diagnosis and it can actually like kind of take on the persona of an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So I think if somebody is diagnosing themselves um, with anorexia or bulimia or binge eating disorder, whatever the specific disorder is, because eating disorders are very competitive and kind of like to compare to other people who are also sick, I just think that we need to be a little bit cautious with self-diagnosis in that way and that it mm-hmm. doesn't like completely take over someone's personality of being 
like they don't just have an eating disorder they are an eating disorder yeah mm-hmm. that makes sense mm-hmm, totally yeah I just wanted to say I can also just like be here as someone who hasn't had an eating disorder or an intense form of disordered eating but I have experienced disordered eating for a really long time um so I think that's just interesting that the two of you have experienced this in a much more intense form and for me it's more of a subtle like I've been struggling since I was in high school with disordered eating and obsessively thinking about what I ate all the time even though I was objectively probably healthy maybe and probably didn't didn't need to worry about what I was putting in my mouth all the time and then someone who's also been through this really crazy um, journey with a naturopath and healing my gut he put me on a vegan diet and I went vegan last June and I wanted to go vegan anyway for the animals and for ethical reasons but he also happened to put me on a vegan elimination diet and then I've just stuck with it and he literally healed me overnight. Even people who don't have maybe or anorexia and it's full force, it can still be concerning for, because I think like majority of women, gender non-conforming people and even men struggle with disordered eating nowadays. It's basically impossible not to, I would think. Yeah. And it's very well disguised. Like diet Mm -hmm. culture is sneaky. Um, There are so many things that are normalized now kind of in the name of health that are just disordered eating. And I see it within like the vegan community itself. There's a lot of like food policing. Um, I hate it. (laughs) Right. So someone will post like this delicious recipe for whatever it is, a Christmas dinner, a treat, this and that. And then you'll see, you know, a third of the community swooping in and going, that's not healthy. You shouldn't eat that. And it's like, Hey, that wasn't my question. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. Is it vegan? Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seems like, cause I was stalking your Instagram when we were preparing for this. It seems like your diet is mostly whole foods plant-based. Would you be able to talk a little bit more about if you think that that's the best diet overall for everyone, if that's what we should be striving for, or if that's just how you prefer to eat and how, you know, maybe what should we be striving for in terms of health and taking care of ourselves? I'm very, I laughed when I saw this question that you guys are going to ask me because I don't think I eat as whole foods plant-based as I guess my social Mm. media shows. (laughs) Um, So I thank you for pointing that out so I can pay more attention to that because I think that a lot of the recipes I tend to share are what I'm hoping that my followers want to see. Um, I also have a bit of a following that's not just eating disorder related, but a lot of parents because I'm a parent as well. So a lot of my recipes kind of like hide veggies and use things in interesting ways. That being said, I do think that a whole foods plant-based diet is pretty ideal. I'm not going to say for everyone just because there are so, so many factors that go into what people's bodies need. But I think for kind of like the average generally healthy person, you really can't go wrong with mostly whole foods, um, like exclusively, if not almost exclusively plants. And I think that, well, it's interesting that you mentioned gut healing because I'm kind of a gut health like nerd um, mm. with, I, I love ferments and kind of all things like gut bacteria and gut biome and that kind of stuff. And there's this vegan dietitian. She's also from BC. Her name's uh, Dr. Pamela Ferguson. And she is amazing. Everyone should check her out. But her big thing is like, getting in as many plants as possible and that the bigger diversity 
that you have of plants, like the more diverse your gut microbiome is, and that can lead to like so many different positive health benefits, um, especially when it comes to mental health. So a lot of our like neurotransmitters and hormones and stuff like that are created from the gut, especially mm-hmm. serotonin. Um, and so really focusing on gut health and plant diversity can help your life in so many ways. But I do think that it, it can't be all or nothing. So while whole foods are ideal, putting a label on that I think can be really dangerous. So it's, it truly is all about balance. And that's the answer that nobody ever wants to hear. <laughs> it's just like to be balanced, but it's true. If, if you can incorporate as many whole foods as possible and then still have a relationship with food where you can enjoy the treats or the processed foods or whatever you need to build a diet that feels good, but also like feeds you emotionally, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Totally. I think everyone is looking for some secret like, oh, what are the top five best foods I can eat? Um, but it's not that simple. It's something that you have to, like you said, build for yourself. We just had an episode on diet culture, which is a very prevalent topic right now because mm-hmm. it's the new year and everyone's, you know, looking for a new diet to start. Everyone wants to get on their workout plan. But yeah, what I found is like everyone thinks of food in terms of like physical health, but I've started looking at it and I'm sure it, it's a good thing to start looking at it more as like what's going to affect your mind the most too. That's what's helped me at least. Not in terms of, you know, what's healthy, what's unhealthy, what's good, what's bad. It's like, if I eat this piece of cake, how will I feel about it? Like, is it better for me to eat the piece of cake because I know it's not going to harm me? <laughs> um, or is it better for me to eat the salad or both? Like for me what's helped me heal the most from my eating disorder and become more intuitive with eating is just to think way more about how is this going to affect my mind than my body I guess you kind of already asked answered this can you talk to us about how there's no such thing as good or bad foods did you want to elaborate on that at all or yeah um I think that that's something I see a lot especially on Instagram with like good versus bad or eat this, not that kind of things. Um, And I think like veganism aside, when we think of good foods and bad foods, like we really want to take the morality out of food. So you're not like a good person if you eat an apple or bad person if you eat cake. And that's such like, that language is so ingrained in our culture right now. You'll hear like, oh, I've been bad. I got to go do whatever run off that cake or whatever it was um especially around the holidays it's super frustrating this year was a little bit refreshing to um be around less family with COVID Uh (laughs) I know it's a really hard time for a lot of people and there's a lot of kind of that talk of like oh I gotta be good all day because I'm gonna be bad tonight with dinner and that's the kind of language that like in my practice I I really try to stamp out and we really challenge those thoughts we practice food neutrality so taking the the moral compass away from like your choices because food is just food and you can nourish and fuel and then move on Um, and it doesn't have to take up any more thoughts than it does to just eat the meal and go about your day Mm -hmm. I like that you can nourish and feel and then move on that's an Instagram quote yeah (laughs) totally (laughs) writing it down (laughs) Oh, you mentioned your uh, mother, and we were very curious. This is something I talk about on the podcast a lot. Mm. I'm very scared for criticism once I become a vegan mother from family or anybody or 
I just think it might be challenging in general. Um, and I'm also scared about getting pregnant as somebody with an eating disorder, which may or may not sound ridiculous, but it's your body changing. And I just worry how I will endure that myself. And I've heard very mixed things from different women about how they feel when they're pregnant, which is also kind of a given because every woman is different. Um, but we were wondering about your experience with pregnancy, what was going on then with disordered eating and healing your eating patterns. Yeah. I don't, first of all, I don't think it's ridiculous at all that you're having those thoughts Okay. <laughs> um, because I mean, even people who haven't struggled with eating disorders, I think it can be nervous about the whole process of body changing and because it, it is, you know, it's crazy how much your body does change. I mean, you're growing a human and you're growing extra organs and it's a, it's a very strange feeling. Um, and I, I think I was as prepared as I could have been, but nothing fully prepared me for what was going to happen. We did wait till I felt like, I, I don't even know if I like the term fully recovered, but I'm just going to say solid in my recovery. There were no lingering eating disorder behaviors happening. And for me, that was really important because then it allowed me to like focus on the process and enjoy the pregnancy more than I think I could have if I were in a less healthy place. Okay, so it was a little bit of a longer journey to get pregnant because I'm married to a woman. Um, so we had to kind of explore different options for conception. So what we did was we went to a fertility clinic, we picked a donor, and we used IUI, which is intrauterine insemination. They inject the sperm like right into your cervix, and then you can get pregnant that way. So it took us four tries to do that. And that was a little bit of a challenge to my mental health because with every failed attempt, I wondered if I had harmed my body while I was in the depths of my eating disorder. And I really mm -hmm. started to like feel angry with my own body and I started to lose trust in my body um, and feel angry with myself because I just worried that I had done irreversible damage. Um, it turns out that wasn't the case and it is super normal for it to take a while to get pregnant. So it all ended up fine. My son is two now, so mm -hmm. great outcome. Um, but yeah, pregnancy was super weird and just watching my body grow and change was a wild experience. I loved my belly. I was so proud of it. I, it's interesting how many people will comment on your body when you're pregnant. Mm. It just seems like all kind of societal rules go out the window. Like all of a sudden people can touch you and comment on you and ask you how much you weigh and all these things that like aren't usually deemed acceptable. But yeah, so body image wise, pregnancy was super fun. And then after pregnancy was a little bit of a challenge, just kind of watching how things changed and maybe like the expectation that things might go back to how they were and if things don't you know work out that way i'm really scared for afterwards honestly yeah i think yeah. that after pregnancy as long as like when i take time to step back and really focus on like how my body was feeling appreciating everything my body did i was breastfeeding but that was a quite a big struggle for us as well and i think that i held on to breastfeeding a lot longer than was good for my mental health and just sort of like keeping expectations low or not even low, but keeping them open, being open to experiencing whatever your body is going to do and just trusting that your body knows what it's doing and finding that balance between like fueling yourself because 
at the end of the day, like you're growing a person. So you want to give all of the, you know, the nutrients that you can give to this growing human inside you. But there are so many barriers to that with like, if you're feeling sick or whatever it is. Um, So yeah, I think that it just has to be a very mindful process and just kind of like running with the waves of whatever pregnancy is going to throw you and birth because nothing goes according to plan. And I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. You just kind of have to let it happen and enjoy the process as much as you can. But it's also okay if you don't enjoy the process because Mm -hmm. some people hate being pregnant and that doesn't mean that you're going to be a bad mom or whatever. It just... It's, ex- it's just being neutral about your body, take, trying to take the emotion away from it as much as you can. And then when it comes to veganism and pregnancy, my, it, actually, I was expecting a lot of backlash mm. and I didn't really get that. My midwives were super supportive. They kind of asked about my diet once in the beginning and then never talked about it again. Um, and I found great midwives that like didn't really see any reason to weigh me um, throughout the process, which... I've heard is different. Like I know that some clinics, when you walk in, they weigh you every time and they really track, mm. track numbers. Um, and I feel very lucky that that didn't have to be a part of my process. So that was nice. And then, yeah, other than a couple recommended supplements, like, you know, the B12 that everyone should be taking anyway, and some increased folate and stuff like that. Like there really wasn't a difference between a vegan pregnancy and a non-vegan pregnancy, I think. If anything, I think that a vegan pregnancy can be healthier. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I am wondering, I'm also curious because your kid is vegan too, right? Yeah, he's, I would say he's kind of like in the 90% vegan range. Mm-hmm. Um, he was completely vegan for the first like year and a half. And then he was having his own health struggles he was severely constipated and he was underweight and he had low iron, which was not related to veganism. Um, that kind of stuff, it, it worked itself out. Uh, we have a really great pediatrician, but, but anyway, so it got to the point with him where it was beneficial to introduce like tiny amounts of animal products with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Raising a kid vegan is tough when you don't have a lot of vegans in your life. Um, so I mean with grandparents like it's just a constant fight of like don't feed him that yeah and this is why and then but because of my history with eating disorders I am very very conscious of his relationship to food and kind of how we're teaching him to think about food so especially in front of him I really try not to talk about those good and bad foods like even when it comes to veganism I think that we're raising him as plant-based as possible right now, which might be like unpopular with a lot of vegans, but it is what it is with him right now. And I think that allowing him to continue to make his choices because he doesn't want to eat animal products, which is awesome. I don't offer them to him. And then if they come up with grandparents or whatever, like meat is a hard no for us. Like if that was ever offered, I would be furious. Yeah. But sometimes he'll have like a baked good that has something in it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of chosen to let those battles go for now because I don't want to put any like negative feelings around food on him. But it's super cute watching him like now that he can talk and stuff and he'll, he's like such a little trickster, but 
he'll play this game where he like asks me if he can eat things that aren't edible he'll be like do we eat the couch and then he'll go no (laughs) and then he'll say like can we eat the book no and then he'll be like do we eat chickens and then he goes no So I'm like, he already knows. A woke totally. man. You know, a woke man. Working towards that. Yeah, he knows what's up. Um, and he's so gentle with animals. And it's just like Aww. really beautiful to watch. So I don't know if, you know, I, I would like to think that maybe my wife and I have, have kind of taught him some of that. But I do think that some of it's kind of just like natural within him. So mm. pretty fun. Um, I wanted to ask because we're all from the lower mainland. We're from Chilliwack here in Abbotsford. Has it been a struggle just being a vegan and having your practice in the Fraser Valley, which is like the middle of Cowtown? And um, (laughs) how did you find like building your clientele and how do you find like just existing in the Fraser Valley as a vegan who has a practice like this? It's tough. Definitely. My son, he goes to daycare twice a week now, and it's like a couple blocks from that that hog farm that was a big um, like vigil a couple of years ago. That oh yeah, had all the press, um, so I have <laughs> to drive past that every time. And I just, it, you know, driving around anywhere in the Fraser Valley, it's like you're just constantly bombarded with the factory farms. And I try to take it as a reminder when I'm mm-hmm. driving around because otherwise, I just get too heartbroken and I can't. I can't like separate it from my, my mood. So yeah, I'm not very popular in the mom groups. (laughs) 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 I mean, I'm not the most like outspoken vegan in the world. I've kind of taken like a gentle activism approach in where I try to like lead by example as much as I can. And I have found for myself that I've had more people go plant-based kind of when I've taken this approach rather than when I first went vegan like four or five years ago because when I first went vegan I was like holy shit like I didn't know any of this information that means that you must not know this information I'm gonna like scream at everyone me that this is the way it needs to be right <laughs> so yeah you know, that, you know, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it, it comes in phases for me where I just like all of a sudden feel kind of aggressive about it and then have to take a step back for myself but yeah being an Abbotsford is really difficult for that moving most of my practice onto Zoom has been awesome because that's allowed me to see people um, not just all over BC but like internationally as well which is really cool because that just shows me that what I'm doing is a little bit unique a lot of people are coming to me who have talked to registered dietitians and who have you know been in hospital and this kind of stuff and not found what they were looking for in in a space that allowed the recovery that they wanted for themselves yeah if if I were maybe just focusing on Abbotsford and Chilliwack it might be a little bit of a different story because mm-hmm. we're not as popular as <laughs> as the rest of our population yeah. especially being um like a same-sex couple my wife and I have, mm. you know now and we worry about that a little bit with our son because we're like the weird you know lesbian vegans who've clocked <laughs> Did all these things all right? the intersections so, are just yeah my kids like in the back of the field eating dandelions and I'm like good boy like yummy <laughs> yeah when you were talking about pregnancy I had literally just listened to a podcast where they were saying the expectations of women obviously are just so skewed and when you're pregnant it's like oh you're glowing you're beautiful like it's acceptable to have that extra weight but mm-hmm. literally the second that you give birth, it's like, okay, drop it all. 
drop yeah. it all, like be skinny again as literally as quickly as you can. What are your thoughts on weight and the harmful ways that we view weight, talk about weight in our society, especially for women? Like the just the emphasis that we place on weight as a health marker, as opposed to maybe what we're eating or our like our diet, like veganism and things like that. Yeah, the end of pregnancy is very interesting with all the messages you get about having to like, quote unquote, bounce back. Also, like, man, the aggressive MLMs that prey on pregnant women, like, I can't even tell you Mm. how many messages I got from people in these pyramid schemes that were like, hey, we notice you're pregnant, you're going to be due soon, buy this product, and you'll like snap back quickly. Oh my god. It's just, I I couldn't, I had a hard time believing it, really, because I'm like, you're preying on people who are already like pretty vulnerable and you know, I just want to focus on like enjoying my new family, not like changing my body that's, you know, already doing its own changes. Um, But yeah, pregnancy aside, the focus on weight is just, um, it's just too much. (laughs) And ah, your podcast. Yeah. But but I, I'm starting to see a divide a little bit, I think. I think that things are starting to change when it comes to um, attitudes about weight it's becoming very polarized. Like diet culture is so strong and so ingrained, but then I'm seeing this really awesome movement of like health at every size and body positivity and that kind of stuff. And moving away from measurements like the BMI, which I'm super glad about because the BMI like wasn't even made by a doctor. It was just like, (laughs) it was like a statistical thing. And it was only, um, you know, they used like white males and then this was the standard that's supposed to be measure every single body all over the world. A man was just like, this sounds like a good idea. (laughs) Right. And so when I see doctors who are like using that as the only standard, especially when that's like a diagnostic criteria, I'm just like, I go from being furious to then just shaking my head because I'm like, you just can't, there's just so many factors at bay and the BMI I'm hoping is on its way out. Um, It's pretty outdated. It doesn't take into account like body composition, this kind of stuff. So I I think that we need to move into like more health markers, like how people are actually feeling based on how much they actually weigh. Um, Because at the end of the day, it's just like your relationship with gravity. And Hmm. I'm not really concerned about somebody's like numerical relationship with gravity. I also just saw this post. I can't remember what platform it was on, but it was talking about how like, isn't it funny how we use bodies almost as if they're like clothing fads? Like this year, like big butts are in, but last year, like whatever, maybe big boobs were in or whatever it was. And like, we just expect um, women especially to be able to like change their bodies on a whim and just fit whatever's in style this year. And that just seems so wild to me because bodies in their physiology like really don't change that much like your organs are doing what they're going to do like they ha- they all have their purpose and you it's not just fashion to be able to change your body that absolutely means. yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah um i was thinking i have a lot of people who will message me because i'm open about my eating disorder on instagram mm-hmm. and they will say i want to be vegan i love the animals i just don't think it's right for me. I just don't know how I'm going to go about it without feeling like triggered or having my eating disorder get worse. What do you suggest I do? <laughs> I'm always like, I, yeah, I'm not the one to ask, girlfriend. I appreciate it. But so one, I'm very grateful that I can reference you now. Uh, and another thing I wanted to talk about 
was how do you think I a lot of people also in my life there are people who are aware they have eating disorders there are people who this is a tricky topic because there's a few people in my life where it truly seems like something might be going on but there is that weird line that you don't want to cross of thinking you can just say things about other people's bodies I guess how does one recognize that they are they may have a problem with eating or how do we also how do we approach that or should we at all if we think someone in our life is struggling yeah that's super hard I think that's kind of a circumstantial basis like it depends on your relationship with the person I think that yeah it can be important to find a way to maybe like gently tell them hey I'm concerned like have you thought about this that and the other thing like maybe you need maybe you need some help or without calling attention to like specific behaviors or to somebody's body because if somebody's in the thick of an eating disorder and their body is noticeably changing um, sometimes commenting on that can fuel the disorder more especially when it comes to losing weight because somebody with an eating disorder if someone approached them and said hey I'm noticing that like you're losing a lot of weight their eating disorder might be like, haha, it's working mm-hmm. uh, and kind of latch onto it more. So yeah, it's a very tricky, tricky like dance to play. Yeah. Sometimes talking to family members can help as well, but at the end of the day, unless somebody's ready for help, they're not going to, not going to seek it. I know that when I was very sick, I, I didn't believe it at all. It wasn't until like my physical health like really deteriorated. Like I was having, you know, I lost my period for like a couple years and which also I was worried about with fertility stuff, but it was really doctors that forced me into recovery before I think I even acknowledged that I had an eating disorder. Yeah. People would just really need to be ready to hear it. And that's super hard to watch, especially when it's family or close friends. Um, Cause it can feel a little bit helpless. I, th- I think that it can be worth it to say something to them, but it just has to be a very gentle nudge rather than like an intervention kind of thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what about within ourselves how can we like notice the signs that we ourselves might be struggling it can be very subtle so kind of a big picture statement would be like if your thoughts of food body exercise are taking over the majority of your day and you're ignoring other activities or relationships to kind of fuel these thoughts, then that's a problem. There can be a lot of like warning signs. Like I, I don't really believe in counting food ever. I don't think that people, unless there's a very specific medical reason, I don't think people need to count calories or macronutrients or any of that kind of stuff. So to me, that's a warning sign. If somebody's really into like these counting apps and like measuring food beyond like just needing to measure for a recipe, I mean, those are all kind of warning signs to me. But yeah, at the end of the day, like if someone, you could be engaging in all of these behaviors and not feel ready to change them. So usually with people, there's like a moment where they realize, oh, this is a problem. You know, I've neglected my relationships. I've lost friends. I've lost partners. I've lost family members, whatever it might be. There's usually some sort of final push that someone has a light bulb moment where they're like, I do have a problem. I need to seek recovery. And that doesn't mean that recovery is going to happen right away. It can take years and years and years. um, And you just have to kind of continuously choose recovery. Eventually these things really do fade away and they, they don't take up the majority of your thoughts. And it's really, really freeing when that happens. Mm -hmm. Totally. 
how do people develop eating disorders? Like, how do people develop disordered eating habits, too? How does that work? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. Well, I think it's kind of like a perfect storm. Like, there are some people out there that maybe they can count calories and macronutrients without having it completely take over and they don't develop like full-blown eating disorders. And then there's other people who like the second they dabble it, like the second they step into a gym, it can be like, boom, there's the trigger to develop an eating disorder. And I think it all comes down to just so many factors like personality and demeanor. Like a lot of people with eating disorders are perfectionists and people pleasers. And a lot of times like there's family history of eating disorders. Things can start super, super young. I know in my case, like I was an actress when I was young. I was in like mm. commercials and movies and stuff. Oh, cool. And yeah, I guess. <laughs> maybe, maybe not so cool because um, I just, from such a young age, body and performance was already such a thing. And so that can happen like with athletics or with dance or whatever, whatever kids are doing. And I just think that at some point, all of these factors build up to the point where it just like tips someone over the edge. So it can be different for every person. There might be like a ton of little things that finally pile up and pile up and then push someone over the edge. Or there can be like one big event that's like, now I'm on a diet and then it just spirals kind of thing. So it really is different for everyone. But I would encourage like teachers and coaches and parents to really be careful about messages that we're sending about like food and bodies to kids because kids are so impressionable and seeing grown-ups engage in these things like even if we're not explicitly telling kids that they need to eat a certain way if a child is in the room and mommy and a couple of her friends are talking about whatever diet they're on like that's already going to be ingrained so just minimizing all these factors that pile up and eventually blow up into an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. I did not tie that in well before, but people, uh, people will message me who have eating disorders because I'm opening about, I'm open about it and they mm -hmm. say, I'd like to get better and I'd like to be vegan, but I don't know if that's achievable. I'm just wondering if you have any advice for anyone who's in that position and maybe wants to go vegan but is in an eating disorder in in the depths of an eating disorder right now what do you think they could do or how could they approach it possibly or if or should they approach it at all right i think i'm sounding broken record but it is case by case but in mm -hmm. general i think that veganism might need to be a goal in that in that case depending on where people are at in their recovery i'm 100% game to be a space where we can pursue vegan recovery. But at the same time, I acknowledge that there are times where that's just not completely appropriate. So when I'm working with someone, especially because I've had an eating disorder myself, I have a pretty good like bullshit meter. So I can usually tell when someone's coming to me wanting to pursue veganism, like out of actual desires to like help the environment and the animals and that kind of stuff versus their eating disorder that's just like oh here's another weight loss thing that I haven't tried let's go work mm -hmm. with a vegan, a vegan nutrition professional who's gonna enable my eating disorder because <laughs> that's not my game it's very hard in recovery to be patient because it is such a long process but I think that taking as many steps as possible to eat as plant-based as 
is practical for you in the moment is going to be really helpful. And that might mean like a little bit of give or take. And I actually, I really like revisiting the actual definition of veganism because it mentions right in there that it's as far as is possible and practical. So basically doing the least amount of harm. And I think that that has to start with the person themselves, because if you're very sick, you can't help the big picture. So it can be a little bit give or take when it comes to introducing animal products. I would say someone, if somebody's struggling with like binge eating disorder, for example, sometimes introducing tiny amounts of animal products throughout the day can help to avoid a binge on huge amounts of animal products, like at night or whenever their binge trigger is. So finding that balance between like, yes, I'm living according to my values, but I'm also like preventing things from getting worse, if that makes sense. And like, I know for me that I went through a stage where, yes, I wanted to be vegan, but if I had been so diligent about restricting animal products, I probably would have spiraled and ended up back in treatment where they would have forced me to eat animal products anyway. So by being a little bit more flexible at that point in my recovery, I was able to avoid having to like not be vegetarian at all down the line. So it can be a little bit of a balancing act, but... I just, I like to be a space where I can meet people where they're at and then work towards being as plant-based as possible in their recovery. Awesome. Often on my Instagram, I talk about how like being vegan is kind of what helped me recover Mm -hmm. because I took, it was all for ethics. It was all for the animals. It kind of took the power away from like the food itself because for me, like it wasn't for health. It was just like, holy shit, I don't want to see animals suffer like this when I eat this I think of this scary video and that's it's not like when I eat this I think of like how this is going to change my body like it kind of it took the power away from that and I just got more interested in like cooking and seeing what I could make all the stuff that I used to eat non-vegan I can make vegan now like so that's how it helped me but I often tell people who message me that's not how it's going to help everybody like like you said it's case by case everybody's different um and everybody like struggles on different levels so yeah that's all I have to say about that Mm. um I think it was so important that you pointed out that we're trying to do as little harm as possible because Mandy and I often talk about the vegan community and how problematic it can be because it's all like hurrah everyone needs to be vegan no excuses you need to do it the way that we think you should do it instead of just doing what you can do. So I think that's really important to point out that there's no perfect or right way to do any of it. We have to keep our sanity and we have to take care of ourselves as well as place our uh, morals and values on the animals and things like that. It's a balance. I'm just so tired of (laughs) the vegans, the vegan community being like, you're not doing it right you're not doing enough you're not healthy enough you're not looking out for the animals enough and Mm -hmm. it's like everybody's different like we've said a million times and it's annoying because the movement is based off compassion or it should be and that just seems to go out the window when it comes to humans (laughs) yeah right and I think like it's funny because you know people who are critiquing uh, veganism it's usually like farmer joe from the hog farm down down the street but like you'll see 
you know, we're promoting, you know, many people can go vegan and might benefit from it. And then you'll get like whoever saying, well, what about people up North or what about people with eating disorders or blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I agree, but do you have an eating disorder? Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you Are live you up what? North? Like, yeah. <laughs> you live in Abbotsford where Abbotsford and Mission Superstore have like amazing vegan sections mm-hmm. and like you have, you know, a good job with money and can access these things. So like when I'm saying that like most people can go vegan, I'm not talking about people who don't have access to food or who have eating disorders or this kind of thing. So I think people need to make that distinction and think about like if you're feeling like so defensive and like triggered to fight, like Mm, is there something coming up for you that's like standing in the way mm-hmm. yeah totally last question for me I was wondering because I'm all about the gut health and digestion it's really important for me I have a really sensitive digestive system so I was wondering if you practice any sort of food mindfulness or daily practices or practices during meals like I've heard and seen so many nutritionists talk about taking deep breaths before a meal, like calming your anxiety levels, chewing a lot, and maybe taking like 30 to 45 minutes to eat a meal instead of rushing. Personally, I notice my anxiety spike around food a lot. And then of course, it's going to be more difficult to digest and enjoy the food when my body and my nervous system are all jumbled and I'm trying to digest food. And especially when I start thinking too hard about food or a meal that I'm eating. So I was wondering if you have any advice for something like that or things that you actually do. For me, I try to eat with as few distractions as possible just so that I can stay kind of like calm and connected to my food. Like I really, I have found through recovery that I actually love food. I love the colors and flavors and textures and cooking and so it's nice to be able to sit and actually focus on those aspects of a meal. And I think that by, by having like a loving and nurturing attitude towards mealtime and towards your body, that can help digestion in itself just because you're relaxed and not, you know, super tense or super stressed around food. That being said, that's also kind of like more towards the end goal in recovery because in the beginning, like especially if we're trying to refeed or something like that, sometimes distraction can actually be really helpful. So we're not necessarily focusing on gut health at all parts of recovery. But for the healthy person, I think you kind of nailed it, like taking taking your time with meals. And, and I think not just with meals, but in our daily lives, like mm-hmm. as much as we can slow down and really just like let our body do what it needs to do without constantly bombarding it with stress and screens and noise and all these things, like that's going to help our digestion in, in itself, like regardless of the actual food that you're eating, your behavior around mealtime can help your digestion as well. Right. Thanks. Yeah. I think that's pretty much it. Did you just want to talk about where people can find you if they'd like to connect with you? Sure. Um, my website's the best place to find me. It's devinhoholuck.com and email is the best way to reach me. I I'm less active on social media these days. That was kind of my like 2021 thing to myself was I want to be less on Instagram, less on that kind of things. Um, But my, my practice is open and still very much running. So email is the best way to reach me. Um, My coaching programs are outlined on my website and people can send me messages on Instagram as well, but just know that I'm not posting as much, but I'm still here. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for coming on here and spending this time with us. And I think this is going to be a really, really cool episode. Yeah. Thank you. I had a, I had a fun time. I I learned even more. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, We'll leave Devin's info in the description. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the too much podcast at veggie manny at Jessica underscore bank. You can email us at too much podcast at gmail.com. We have a Patreon now where we post mini episodes every Tuesday. You can become a patron there for $5 a month. That is all. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. Bye.